flower fades and the grass withers, but the word of our God endures forever. Psalm 120. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? What more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Warrior sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Says the reading of the Lord's word this morning. Let's pray and ask him to bless it to us. God, as we come before your word, we thank you that it is holy and inspired and perfect without any errors. But Lord, we have many errors. We are not perfect. And so we ask that your spirit would work in our hearts to understand, to believe, to turn from our sins, to turn to our Lord Jesus. Drive us to the cross, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Psalm 120 is the first psalm of what are called the Songs of Ascent. This is Psalms 120 through Psalm 134. You can see uh, in your Bibles, it should have a little subtext underneath the chapter. It says, Deliver me, O Lord, a song of ascents. Uh, That means that this is one of the songs um, that Israel would sing when they were pilgrimaging, if that's a word, towards uh, Jerusalem. So every year... Israel would gather together from all the corners of the country and they would journey towards the city of Jerusalem for a great feast. Um, But it wasn't just towards the city. It was also up towards the city and then up in the city towards the temple and then in the temple up towards God. And so the Songs of Ascent is called that because it's an upward walking, an upward pilgrimage where they're leaving from down below and they're going upwards towards God. But what starts this pilgrimage? What sparks it? What motivates people to leave the world, to leave down here, and to seek something greater? What drives them to leave behind the mundane and the everyday and to seek something greater, something higher? And Psalm 120 tells us one of the reasons why people seek God. The psalm shows us that one of the motivations for seeking God is disillusionment. Now, when I say disillusionment, you might think I mean disappointment. But there's a difference. There's a difference between disillusionment and disappointment. Disappointment is what happens when you expected one thing, but that's not what you got. Right? You ex- I expected Starbucks to get my order of an oat milk fuzzy unicorn latte with extra sprinkles, and they didn't get it right, and now I'm disappointed. Right now I'm mad. Um, disillusionment is different. Disillusionment is what happens when everything you thought you knew turns out to be a lie. Disillusionment is, I thought I knew what the world was about. I thought things were right. This was good. This was true. And it turns out it wasn't. Disillusionment is what happens when your naive assumptions are shattered. It's when you realize that someone you trust has been lying to you. That's disillusioning. 
disillusionment is what happens when you've been working for Year after year, you've been putting in effort and time for decades, and you're no closer to your goal than when you began. That's disillusionment. Disillusionment is when your life has fallen apart, and everything is upside down, and you can't see the way out. Where do you go? Where do you go when someone you trust turns out to be a liar? Where do you go when a leader that you respected turns out to be just as broken and sinful as you are? Where do you go when you've seen behind the curtain of the world and, and you thought people, in general, wanted good things and it turns out the world it actually wants brokenness and wants war? Where do you go? And this psalm is the prayer of a disillusioned saint. This is the prayer of someone who's been lied to, who's been beat up, who's been stabbed in the back, who's been left for dead. And it begins, In my distress, I called to the Lord. But how did he get here? How did the psalmist get to this point where he is disillusioned and now he's turning to the Lord? And where are these places, right? He says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell in the tents of Kadar. Where are these places? Why does he hate living there? Um, that will start to show us why he's disillusioned. And we're not exactly sure where Meshech and Kadar are. Uh, Mesha could be in modern-day Turkey, um, or it could be as far north as Russia. Um, Kadar could have been nomadic tribes to the south of Israel. It could have been in the desert. Um, basically, we're not entirely sure where they are, but we know they're not Israel. He's saying, I don't live among God's people. I don't live in God's presence. I'm somewhere else. I'm, in, I'm over here in Mesha and over here in Kadar, because that's what it feels like. The point is that he sees himself living in a strange, distant, and hostile place. He's an immigrant in strange lands, far away from where he feels complete. He's not at home. And he's fed up with it. And notice what he's fed up with. Lying lips and deceitful tongue in verse 2. People who hate peace, verse 6. People who love war, verse 7. How did the psalmist get to this point of disillusionment? Because he, he realized, he peeled back the curtain on the world, and he saw just how messed up it is. He thought he knew how the world worked. And it turns out that it's all a lie. And we don't know what exactly prompted this prayer. For all we know, this could be the prayer of someone who, who was lied to by a best friend. could be someone who was cheated on, or who was abused, or who realized that he was pushing for a goal and everything that he was doing was empty and meaningless. Because before we can realize our need for something greater. We first have to realize just how inadequate the world is. 
just how little satisfaction there is. And so he opens his prayer in Psalm 2, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What he's saying is, these are not just categories for falsehood. Lying lips, deceitful tongue. These phrases stand for everyone who lives against others and against God. He's crying out for rescue from people or society that everything they do is against people and against God. And it's all lies. He's seeing that the world is completely broken. That truth is not the standard. Lies are. And people are okay with that. People are okay with immorality. They're okay with conflict. They're okay with false promises and with lies. And so really what he's crying out for is freedom from all the wrongs of the world. He's not okay with injustice. He's not okay with war and with hatred, with death, with sorrow. But when he speaks out, what happens? He finds that everyone else is okay with it. He cries out, this is wrong and broken. And it turns out everyone is actually okay with it. That's not too far off from the world we live in. A world that is okay with rampant brokenness. With things like abortion and homosexuality and many other things that are deeply wrong and yet the world is not only okay with it, the world wants it. The world likes these things. And this is what it's like to live in this world and to speak out against it. We think this is so broken and wrong, but when we say anything, it turns out that we're in the minority. And yet the world claims to want justice. The world claims to want freedom, to want peace. But these are all false promises. And the psalmist, in the face of this reality, calls himself a sojourner. In verse 5, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kadar. Another way to put this is, he is not home. And where he is at is temporary. I think most of us feel this way. That this can't last. That the world as it stands right now cannot last. Things are not as it should be. Society is fundamentally broken. Our relationships are broken. Maybe it's because you see how others have hurt you, or you see how you have hurt others, but you realize that you have sinned against others. They have sinned against you. You have lied. Others have lied. The psalmist's deep realization, the the deep point of this passage is not to point out the brokenness of the world. 
Because if that's all it was, we would be left despairing. We'd be left saying, well, what is there then? If everything is lies and the world is so broken, what's our hope? Well, his deep realization is that without the Lord, there can be no peace. And so in his distress, he goes to God. That's the first step of the Christian's journey. Realizing, I am broken. My family is broken. My world is broken. And I have nowhere else to go. No other solution except the Lord. That is the first step that pushes people to walk towards God. Realizing, I don't have anything to give. I have no solutions. I need God. Because only the Lord can answer our distress. He's the only one who has the answers. He's the only one who has the solutions. Because He's the only one who is true. God is truth. God cannot lie. So notice how he's in the psalmist is not confessing sin. He's he's turning away from the lies and the deceit of the world, and he's turning away from Meshach and Kedar, and he's turning towards the Lord because he knows truth is found there and nowhere else. Truth is only found in God. And so he wants to be with God. And only by the Lord will he get there. So he calls upon the Lord to deliver him from lying lips and from deceitful tongue because lies cannot produce peace and joy. Instead, lies bring what verses 3 and 4 talk about, a warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Uh, in another place in Scripture, the Lord compares lying and deceitful words to sharp uh, arrows that cut and stab. So there's an irony here. It's ironic that when the lies are spoken, they are sharp arrows, but they get turned back against the person who speaks them. In other words, if you live by lies, you will die by lies. And he says, glowing coals of the broom tree, these are weapons of God's judgment. God does not sit idly by. He does not wink his eye at sin and at lies. He acts. Sin lies. Sin gives false promises. Sin promises peace. But all it can actually produce is war. Surely you've seen this in your own heart and life. Surely you've seen this when you have turned to lies as an escape from reality. When you have believed lies, when you've spoken lies either to cover your own sin or to try to lessen the blow against someone else or because you just felt bad for them. Or maybe because you were lying to yourself and you didn't want to turn away from your sin. Do you get peace that way? Has lying ever brought you peace? No. 
They can't. So the psalmist calls upon the Lord to grant him escape. And notice how he says in verse 1, In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. But the psalm never actually tells us what the answer was. Right? He says, I called to the Lord and he answered me. And then you read through the psalm and you, you're waiting to get to this part where it says, and then God did this. And then God said this and everything was better. You're waiting for, this is what it was like, but then God spoke to me or God worked on my behalf and I saw the goodness of the Lord and everything was okay. This is actually a psalm that doesn't end like that. And there aren't a lot of psalms like this that end on things are bad. Right? This psalm ends with, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And that's how it ends. So we're left thinking, where's the answer? If God answered his prayer, what did God answer with? How did God answer But I think a lot of us can probably relate to this psalm because how often have you prayed and you've waited for an answer and it, there hasn't been one? Or so it seems. I think many of us are left wondering after our prayers, did God hear it? Has God answered? Will He answer? We pray and we pray and we call upon God to change our circumstances, but nothing happens. Has God heard? Has He answered? Nothing's changed. But I think the point of the psalm, the point of the fact that we're not told why or how God answered, is to show us that God doesn't always answer by changing our circumstances. We often pray for God to change our circumstances. We often pray that God would take away suffering, that God would take away the pain, the heartbreak, the, the, the difficulty. And when He doesn't, we think, well, He hasn't answered me. But the reality is that God does answer. He just doesn't always answer the way that we expect or the way that we want. For the psalmist in Psalm 120, God doesn't answer him by teleporting him out of Meshech and Kadar. He doesn't answer him by repairing all of his relationships. He doesn't answer by, by making his life a lot better, by making society around him more bearable. But God does answer. And I think he answers in two ways. The first answer is that the distress the psalmist is feeling, the distress itself is actually a blessing. Because where did that distress drive him? It drove him to God. See, we often think that hard circumstances are God punishing us or God removing His favor from us. But it's actually the opposite. Sometimes God puts, often God puts hard circumstances in our lives to drive us back to Him so that we would realize we don't have the answers, but God does, and we can go to Him. 
he drives us back to him through hard circumstances. And this is a blessing. So when we pray and we ask God to change our circumstances, we may actually be missing the point. Perhaps we should instead be thankful that He is reminding us where the answer is found. And I think that's the second answer to the prayer. Is that the psalmist realizes he has someone to run to. He has a place to go. And it's not in Meshach and Kadar. His peace and security is not going to be found in his spouse or in his friends, in his relationships, in his kids, in his job, in his marriage, in his society. His peace and security are found in God. That is where he will find everything he needs. And when he turns to the Lord, that actually gives him the strength to live in a place like Meshech and Kadar. To love his enemies. Not when he has the strength himself, but when he turns to God. When he turns to the Lord. And when we turn to God, we actually see something incredible. Because Jesus himself, you would think, here's God, right? What was his life like? He was a sojourner who was surrounded by lying people who hate peace. He knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back by someone you love. Jesus knows what it's like to be lied to. He knows what it's like to have pain and heartbreak. He knows what it's like to live in this world. To see the brokenness. And not just the brokenness, but how people love it. Jesus died an innocent man. Because the Jews, his own people brought false witnesses forward to lie about him. He died enduring the arrows of lying lips and deceitful tongues as they nailed him to the cross. Jesus knows what it's like. But he endured it. He chose it for two reasons. The first is so that he might then comfort you in your affliction. Jesus knows what it's like to endure this world yet without sin. And so he is a great high priest who sympathizes with your weaknesses, who can speak comfort to you. But he also did it. He also willingly went to the cross because he knew that was the only way to buy you peace. Because peace... True peace, not just in the world, but with God, required his blood to be spilled for your sins. So Jesus took our place. 
He took place on the cross where we should have gone to die for our sins, to endure the glowing coals of God's righteous judgment that should have been for you. But because He loved you, because He loved you, He did it willingly so that your sins can be forgiven so that you can be cleansed, so that you can now live in freedom, and so that you can always, always turn to the Lord, and He will always answer you. It may not look how you expect. God may not answer you how you may want Him to answer you. But because Jesus died on the cross, God promises He will always answer your prayers. And in fact, He will always answer you and give you more than what you asked for. It just may not look how you expect or how you want, but it's what's true. So this gives us comfort knowing that we may live right now in Meshach and Kadar. But God promises that He will bring you home. That you are a sojourner, which means it's temporary. The world as it stands today is temporary. There is coming a day when Jesus will return. He will set all things right. And we will dwell with Him forever in peace, in security, in truth, in wholeness. There will be no more pain, no more heartbreak. No more tears. And there will be joy in that morning. And that morning will last forever. And now we get to turn. In case we didn't have certainty that God would do this, we get to turn to the meal before us this morning. And this meal that we're about to enjoy, the Lord's Supper, is God's stamp, His seal on His Word. It is His guarantee because when we see the meal, when we see the blood, or the, the body and the blood of Christ and the bread and wine, what we're seeing is Jesus really, truly did die. That is where our security comes from. So this morning we're going to receive the supper uh, as witness to his grace. God, we give you thanks again that you have loved us, you've delivered us, you have answered our prayers. Father, please equip us to love our enemies and to live in this world, to be a light to the nations, that we would have the strength and courage to love one another and keep our eyes not on ourselves, that we would not find our security uh, in our relationships, in our jobs, in our marriages, in our kids, that we would look to Jesus. He is our security, Lord. He is our peace. He is our comfort and our strength. So we pray our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.